as I was preparing this week, I was recalling back and taking some time to just kind of look back, and I didn't take a time to look uh, specifically to make sure that uh, I can tell you concretely with uh, solid 100% evidence, but I was thinking through, and I think at one point in my, uh, a number of years ago, I, I preached a, a series of something about the disciplines of, um, of, of Christians, and I think it was in, during the middle of those or at some point in those that uh, I, I touched on this topic of stewardship a bit and talked a bit about what stewardship is and what it looks like and what, what we mean when we say stewardship according to what I think the Bible teaches. Uh, but I think apart from that, I don't know, uh, this is what was going through my head, I don't, I don't know that, that I have ever preached an entire sermon on stewardship here in this church. And I want to just be very forthright with you. I, I count that as an incredible blessing. Now, perhaps it, makes, it means that there's something that I should be talking about that, I, that I'm not. But it also means at least this. And I, I want to say this to, to, not to make you all proud of yourselves or to pat yourselves on the back or to say, hey, how great we are. But I think it's worth encouraging you and acknowledging it's been an incredible blessing to be the pastor of a church that loves to give. I don't say that lightly or move past it quickly. I don't say it to make you boastful. I say it to make you say, thank you, God, that you're an amazing, generous God with me. But it is an incredible blessing. I talk to pastors. I have friends who are pastors who have to visit this subject very often with their congregation in efforts or in hope that it will spur as what normally this conversation is dwelt on is it will spur more giving. I'm so thankful I don't have to do that. Thank you. I want to tell you up front that most every place we're going to go this morning and most everything we're going to talk about this morning does use this thing of money to talk about stewardship, and rightfully so, because it is a big part of what we talk about with stewardship, and it is, quite frankly, the most accessible, the most easily understandable, the most obvious tool or thing or part of stewardship that we can learn from. But I will say from the very beginning here that the, the avenue or the subject of stewardship is not limited to money. In fact... It is far broader, as we're going to find most things we're going to talk about. We're still just talking about major things about our lives, the way we live our lives, the statement of faith and practice, which we're beginning to, I'm beginning to teach through here. But we're still talking about the major things of our lives, and almost all of them are going to have broader themes. We tend to major on some of the, my, the, the, the specific like, focuses of things, but almost all of these have broader themes that are far more important. For I can talk till I'm blue in my face about how you should handle your money properly, but if it is not right in here, it will not matter. It won't change. You're not being a good steward. Stewardship has far more to do. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff about money because that's, again, that's the most accessible example that we have right in front of us. And it's also one that's very necessary to talk about, right? Because money is something that is a problem for us often. But stewardship goes far further than that. 
Let me start this morning by reading for you from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. I told you that we've come through the statement of theology. Here's what we believe about God, and now we're transitioning. There's still going to be some we believe statements, but there are going to be sub-points of that, and they're going to be focused on how we apply what we believe about God. And so very often, I don't know if I'll get it every time, but very often, as much as I can, I want to refer back to when I say, we do these things, I'm going to say it's because of what we believe about God. And I'm going to just tell you right up front, many, many, many of them at some level are tied to the very last message I preached on the statement of theology, which if you remember that section is called last things. For much of what we do is driven from what we expect to occur someday. I would tell you that's a very, 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 very beneficial practice for you to do in your life. Evaluate everything that you are thinking of doing or not doing with, what is this going to do on that day that's coming? I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or what tomorrow will bring for tomorrow has trouble enough for itself. Who, which one of you by worrying can add a single day to your life? You see, it's the constant focus is what's the end. The constant focus is what's coming. So, when they asked Jesus about these last things kind of things, when these things will take place, and they were worried because he was saying some scary things about the destruction of the temple and about how things will be very bad and things will, things will, like, uh, things will not going to be fun and there's going to be persecution, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, natural disasters, all kinds of stuff happening. And he begins to talk about it. And they said, when is it going to happen? He said, we, we don't know. Even I, the Son of Man, doesn't know. The Father alone knows what that time is. And then he begins to tell them some stories to say, knowing what's going to happen, knowing you don't know when it's going to happen, let me tell you some stories about what it means for you. And I want to read one for you this morning. This is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like this, this looking forward to the last things, this evaluating everything I do by last things. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another, <clears throat> excuse me, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, what are the words? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, again, the same phrase, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am quite confident that in your life you have heard a sermon based on that text. Probably more than one. Maybe you're tired of hearing about it. I hope it's a familiar enough story that I have to teach a lot from the story itself because I don't have time to do that this morning. But from this story, we come to this thing that we call stewardship. And it begins with the very first opening line because the very first opening line sets it in context of what we are talking about. Every parable Jesus said, the people in this parable represent other things, right? Other people, other events, other, other stuff that's going on. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Jesus is that man. And the journey he's going on is leaving earth and going back to heaven. And when he does so, he calls his servants. You want to take a guess at who the servants are? I think we know, right? That's us. And when he went, he called his servants and he entrusted to them. Very key word of this phrase. He entrusted to them. Whose property? Whose property? The man who went on a journey's property, right? Jesus' property. Not the servant's property. This is the unfolding of the basic premise of all biblical discussions about stewardship. Listen, I can make this fairly short and simple if you want it like this. Taking two verses from Scripture to bookend what the fundamental understanding of stewardship is all about. Psalm, uh, well, can you go, hey, Dominic, can you go two slides ahead? Not the next one, but go to the next one. There you go. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth, everything that's on the earth, the fullness of all that is the Lord's. The world, everything around it, and those who dwell on it are whose? Let me ask you something. What from that verse do you get that does not belong to God? What does not belong to God? You can say it. It's okay. Nothing, right? When it says that the earth and all the fullness of it and the world which goes beyond all that, which refers to the cosmos, everything, and also the people that dwell on you. Let's make sure we understand that. that that's us. They all belong to the Lord. And follow that up with the next slide, which is from the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. How much of it is ours? If we really believe this stuff about God and about us, do you see how that completely changes the fundamental approach to stewardship? This is not a discussion about how does God want me to handle my stuff. This is not a discussion about, well, I need to make sure I pay attention and give God the first little bit of what's mine because that shows me that I honor him. False. We have, if we're in that discussion, we have, we have not begun with the right fundamental understanding. According to the two verses I just gave you, all of it's God's, none of it's ours. 
I also use this phrase, if we really believe that. And my friends, I can tell you that is the crux of the issue. I can preach an incredible, it probably won't be, but I can preach an incredible, convicting, amazing, truth-filled, whatever sermon to you this morning. If you don't believe those two verses, if that's not your fundamental understanding, then everything you're building on top of there is on the wrong foundation. Listen, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like the truth of this any more than you do. You brought nothing into this world. Everything that's already in the world is God's. You brought nothing in and you're going to take nothing out. This is the concept of stewardship. A man went on a long journey and when he was gone, while he was gone, he entrusted to his servants with his property to do his bidding with it. Now, out of that, if we're going to go back, I think I can go back on here, Dominic. In our statement of faith and practice, we say, under this section of stewardship, we say that we believe that believers are to faithfully receive and manage and share God's gifts. That's intentionally broad because it does not just include money. It includes lots of other things. For if the earth is all God's and the fullness of all of it, everything on it, and the people on it, which means like us, who we are, what we do, how we act, what we can do, all that stuff, all that belongs to God. So we are to faithfully receive, manage, and share God's gifts. Read in God's gifts everything we have, because I just proved that point to you here, even though I went a couple verses, I kind of went out of order here. This introduces something that the Bible spends a lot of time talking about, and we were just in Timothy, so I'm just going to read it out of there. If you would read a couple more verses there where I was reading, I, I've, this verse right here, we brought nothing in the world and we're going to take nothing out of the world. Uh, that actually comes in the context of these verses right here. I'm going to back up a verse and read verse 6 first. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those are rich words. Those are descriptive words. They're, they fall into temptation. They fall into a snare. They fall into senseless and harmful desires. They are plunged into ruin. They are plunged into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The word that comes out of that introduces us that when we're going to talk about stewardship, we have to talk about this word, which is the word content or contentment. We cannot have a biblical discussion, actually, about stewardship without talking about contentment. For everywhere up and down the ladder. By the way, let's just go back and make sure we understand this. When Jesus told the story about, he said a man's going on a journey, he gave people gifts. He gave them all the exact same amount, right? Because he was fair and he was a socialist, right? Probably not fair to give a political dig in a Sunday morning sermon, but did he? You see, that's why contentment is so important. Because it doesn't matter whether you're talking up the scale, whether you were the five or the two or the one or the 20 or the half. It still matters whether you are content. Well, let's dig into this. Let's dig into this a little bit. Jesus told another story. Let me read this one for you. 
this is, you know, kind of revolves around this whole issue of being content or, you know, uh, not being longing after uh, more and having more. Someone in the crowd one day came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Luke chapter 12. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said, Jesus said, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? But then, even though he doesn't want to answer that question, he does take the opportunity to teach. And he says, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Are you listening? Are we listening? These are messages that I think for us, we would rather just kind of ignore sometimes. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. He says another story, another parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Elwood would love that if his land would do that. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So... In the end, he makes his point. It's not a story about a farmer who's greedy or is not taking, looking to the end because his point is this. So is the one, so is anyone who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, it's not about looking at the person that has a ton and you say, look at how much they have. They must be greedy. They're not content. They're always building these new and bigger barns and saying, just lay back and relax. It's not about that. It doesn't matter at what level or what, what part of the ladder you're on if you're not content, if you're not rich towards God, if you're, if you're trying to keep what you think is yours, then you have missed the memo on who owns the stuff that you have. And you have failed at having a biblical view of stewardship. I have failed. Jesus said, of course, that we should lay up our treasures in heaven, right? Everything we have here, thieves can break in and steal. Moth will come. Rust will come. It will destroy it. It will waste away. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where thieves can't break in, where there's neither moth nor rust, and they will not come destroy. So we understand from that, first of all, that we're not after the stuff of this life. We understand, second of all, it is possible to put something beyond You see, we came in the world with nothing, we'll go with nothing, but it's possible it's something beyond. Worth our time, not the message for this morning, but worth our time to dig into and spend time thinking what those things really are. I want to do a little exercise with you from the Bible. Just spend a little time. We could spend more time, but spend a little time. We're talking about contentment, and the other side of that often is greed. When I'm greedy, and again, this can show up. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or somewhere in between or nothing. We can be just as greedy. And greed is not good. And you probably know that, but I want to show you this morning that greed is not good. That the Bible speaks very clearly about greed not being good. Not being good overall, but not being good for you. I don't know if you know this. Greed is not good for you. Like, if you're greedy, it's not good for you. Let me show you what I mean. Let's, uh, let's have you read these verses. You guys know how we do this. Uh, Psalm chapter 10, verse 3. Someone look up Psalm chapter 10, verse 3 and read that for us. Nice and loud. That way we can all hear. I have the advantage of a microphone. You don't, so you're going to have to... Make sure it's clear enough for us. Well, 
not quite sure how it came out there for you, but in, in the ESV there, there's this indication that the greedy people renounce God. There's a connection between being greedy and renouncing the Lord. Boasting about what they have, renouncing the Lord. Let's go on because there's more we're going to unfold. The next three are all going to come from the book of Proverbs, which is chock full of all kinds of wisdom for us. So they're single verses. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19. Someone want to read Proverbs 1, 19? Pay careful attention to that. Did you catch what that said? When you're greedy, it takes away the life of who? The one being greedy. I, I suspect, now first of all, we're rarely self-aware enough to know when we're really being greedy. But second of all, even when we're aware of it, I don't think we usually connect the fact that when I'm greedy, it's sucking life out of me. Usually because when we think... When we think we have something, we don't have something we deserve, or we want something somebody else has, we don't think of it greedy, we just think it's not fair because they have the stuff, and we think it's their, it's their problem. The problem is it's sucking the life away. It's kind of like when we refuse to forgive. We think like we're holding them somewhere. It's actually holding us hostages. It's hurting us. It's the same thing because the focus, while we're like worried about that, it's stealing life from here. Where's your focus when you're greedy? Not on anything that's good that's happening to you, right? It's on all the bad things that you don't have. Let's keep going. Uh, the scripture can make its own points. I don't need to bring all that out. Every... Proverbs 15, 27. What does that have to say to us about greed? Hold on. So, so far, scripture tells us that we're, we're affecting our own lives. We're renouncing God. We're affecting our own lives. And now, now just told us that the Bible also says when we're greedy, it troubles our household, our family. You see the case we're building? Greed is not good for us. Let's do one more. Proverbs chapter, what did I put down there? 28, 25? Someone read that for us. Read that first part again because I think I was talking while you were talking. Isn't that funny how that's put together, by the way? I mean, that's not really the point of what, we're, what the verse is reading, but isn't that funny it's put together? Because when you're greedy, you want to prosper, right? But the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs tells us exactly the opposite. When you're greedy, it stirs up dissension, but if you trust in the Lord, if you wait on the Lord, then you will prosper. So what you're really after doesn't come by being greedy and wanting more and more of whatever you're after. It's by waiting on the Lord. Now, that's not a prosperity message gospel message either that the, like you wait on the Lord and you're going to become rich because I will tell you that you'll realize that your riches are in something else however what are, the point the reason I pointed that out was because it says very clearly that the greedy stir up dissension bring trouble can I convince you this morning that God's word is very clear greed robs steals snuffs out the life in you and your family and those around you. By the way, do you ever think about the fact that very often we fall in this thing where actually the more that we have, the more that we want? We're less content with lots of other stuff. I'll never forget, there's a few, well, at least, at least one. I know Caleb's here. Eric's not here because he's on his way to Minnesota, but we took the youth group, first, first international mission trip that I ever took, actually first mission trip I ever took. We went to Nicaragua with our youth group. 
I'll never forget when we came home, one of the best things that happened, I think, out of that from my perspective was we came home. We didn't have a big youth group. And every one of them just, there's just something that shifted inside of them for they walked into homes that were probably the size of a third of the stage up here and had three generations living in them. One little, one little room over there that had a stove in where they did their cooking and one other room that had a table where they ate at and a few chairs where they sat at for their living room and a few hammocks strung up where they slept for their bedroom. But they came home and they said, you know, those were some of the most happy, content people I have ever met in my life. I don't know if Caleb, I don't know if he was the one that said it or not, but I, I know of those kids, and they said, we are so discontent with what we have, and we have so much. Do you want to know why that's true, by the way? The Bible actually tells us why that's true. Proverbs 27, 7 says that the one who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Again, I would invite you, maybe not right now because I want you to keep paying attention, but sometime this week, take some time to just keep thinking about this verse. I'm telling you, I did that a bit, and there are all kinds of applications for this verse that go far beyond money or greed in that sense. It actually speaks a lot to our spiritual condition and our place before God. When we are full You've never noticed when you have, everything's going pretty good and you get annoyed by just the slightest little things. And yet when we are hungry, when we are broken and we know that we're in a desperate situation, it doesn't take much to be a sweet comfort to us. This is what contentment is all about and in the discussion of the things that we have and the resources that we have and the gifts that we have and the things that we do and the time that we have and all that God has given to us makes every difference whether we will hear the words we all want to hear at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have taken what I have given to you, what you never owned, never yours, you have been faithful with it. You have produced with it. And you're giving it all to him. What does this mean? If this is what scripture has to say about how I treat the things I have, how I look at myself even. For if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all that dwell on it, that's me. That's my actual body. That's not just the things I have. It's me. It's me. I belong to God. Stewardship has to do with me too. What do I do with my body, with my container, my physical container? What do I do with it? Because it's given to me by God. And he's given it to me that I might honor him. He may have given me five or two or one. doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is whether I'm faithful with it. What does this mean then? This is going to come right out, kind of out of that statement. I just want to kind of lay some things out. This means that we as a local body of believers, we say that this is what, this, what it means. It means that we will be content and generous. We will be content with what the Lord has given to us. 
with what we have, what we don't have. We'll be perfectly fine with it. We'll be content with that, and we'll be generous. Again, it doesn't matter if it's a lot or little. We'll be generous. I could point to story after story after story. Jesus said, look at the woman who walked by. She gave, she gave a mite. She gave just nothing. But I tell you, she gave more than everybody who walked in and dumped these big checks in there. For she gave out of the little she had. She gave everything she had. Content and generous. On the opposite side of it, not only will we, will we be content and generous, we will reject wastefulness and greed. We will reject wastefulness and greed. Jesus told another story. You know this story. I know you know it. Even when I grew up in the Amish church, this was a story that was told. I grew up knowing this story. This story has everything to do with the subject I had this morning. Jesus said there was a rich man, and when he was alive, he lived sumptuously. It says he feasted daily. He had all kinds of good things in front of him. And at his doorstep, at his gate, lay a poor man, Lazarus, who had sores on his body and who was, who was wishing he could have just the, the crumbles from this man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And both of them went to heaven, as will happen. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say both of them. Both of them died. Both of them came to the end of their life, as will happen to every one of us. And Lazarus, it says, was taken into the bosom of Abraham, to the side of Abraham. And there he experienced relief. And there he experienced comfort. He experienced plenty. And the rich man went into the place of torment where he was in anguish of soul. And Jesus gives us, and you can build all kinds of theology on it. Some of it may be right, some of it may be wrong. But regardless of that, the story Jesus said, Jesus gives us a glimpse as to how this worked. And the rich man was in his anguish, and he looked, and he saw Lazarus, and he said, I know that man. And he pled, Abraham, would you send him over to dip his finger in water and let a drop come down and cool me, for I am in anguish and torment. Now stop for just a moment. I remember, I remember so clearly as a kid sitting and hearing this story and it just gripping me thinking how awful the torment must be that it would be worth crying out for one single drip. That's not the point of the story today. But it's worth thinking about. And Abraham looks at the rich man and he says, you lived life with plenty. You had all the comfort you needed when you were there, and Lazarus did not. Now he is comforted, and you are not. There is a great divide, he said, between us, and no man could cross that. We're it even we're, we're, we're even to want to, which she doesn't say whether it does or not, but we're even to want to, it would not be possible. Such was the awakening and the realization of this rich man that he had completely missed missed what it was at with the things he had on earth is he begged he said please send Lazarus back for I have brothers who are still on earth still alive and they could change their ways they could realize that it's not about the things I have my life does not consist in the possessions I have or the talents I have or the gifts that I have or how much I can do or have and Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them they have the word of God let them hear them and he said no but please would you send if somebody would go back from the dead they would surely listen, and in a predictive, in a prophetic, listen, I love how Jesus, he tells you stories, and nobody's any clue until after all this. We look at that, and I marvel, and Jesus said, no, 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 even someone coming back from the dead will not convince them. He is, of course, talking about himself. My question to us this morning for this story is, 
will we be convinced from Moses and the prophets, from the word of God, from the return of Jesus from the dead, that we had better be very, very, very careful how we look at the things we have and look at ourselves and the time that we have and all the things that God has blessed us with, whether we are faithfully using them for God's service or not, or whether we will one day be told you had all you wanted in life, you had comfort, you had everything you needed, and you did not share that, you did not care about the other people, and now you can be in affliction, for they will be comforted. My friends, that's not what I want to hear. We will be content and generous. We will reject wastefulness and greed. We will do the best that we can to care for the needs of our own families and for our congregation. And I would extend that beyond even to say to those who are in need. As the Lord prompts us with the things we have and we say, they're not mine anyway. You realize why one of the most challenging things that we read, every time we read, and I read it last week, we read those verses from Acts chapter 2 about the early church in Acts, you realize that every time, what do you think is the first thing that we American Christians protest when we read that story? About how, well, that's not really for us. That's just how they did things back then. What's the first thing that we protest? It's the fact they gave all the stuff away to each other. The fact they didn't care one bit about what they had. They said, oh, you have a need? I'll give it to you. You have a need? I'll sell what I have and I'll give you the money. And it shows us how, I'm sorry if this phrase offends you, how fat and lazy we've become. And I don't mean that in a physical sense necessarily. I mean that with who we are and how we treat the things we have. And I hope you, I hope you know this, brothers and sisters, I hope you know this. I do not count myself apart from you in this message. I may sound like I'm really passionate about it and telling you how to do things, and I am, but I'm sitting there, there with you. I'm no different. I'm not immune. I'm not immune to thinking that the things I've worked so hard for and the money I've earned and the, the time I have is my own and I can do with it what I want to. Thank you very much. And that is simply not true. I didn't say it there, but of course, we intend that we will care for our families We'll do the best we can. And again, that's not whether we have a lot or little. We'll do the best we can. That's what it says. We're good stewards. We'll take what God has given us and we'll do the best we can. It doesn't mean that it has to be at a certain level or a certain standard. It also doesn't mean, by the way, that we'll be failures if we need help. One of the things I was thinking about this as we, actually just this morning as I was praying again at my desk and going through this, and I was, I was just asking the Lord what should come out this morning, and, and I, was, I was recognizing, maybe I should just go back a, back a phrase here. Let me go back a phrase here. Do you want to go back? Uh, he's not. I'm not sure why that's not coming back. We will, manage, we will take care of our families and our congregations. One of the things that I think out of this kind of belief, which we, our Anabaptist people, our culture has had for a long time, and I think it's a good thing, but is, is this idea that that's why we work hard, right? That's why we work hard, because we want to do the best we can to provide for our families. Can I tell you, that's, that's, that's a good thing. However, when I was praying this morning about this, I, I realized that I'm afraid too often our desire and our, our drive to work hard is not so that we can be good stewards, but it's so that we can be independent, so that we don't need anybody's help, so that we can show that we have it together. And my friends, 
in the topic of stewardship, independence has no room to be talked about. I'm afraid we have allowed ourselves to be twisted away from true biblical stewardship, which does equate into working as hard as we can to provide for who we have around us. Because we want to take everything God has given us and use it to be a blessing. But it does not mean we're doing it so that we don't need people's help. And if that's our motivation, I'm afraid we've missed it. Let me keep going. What does this mean? It means that we will manage our time appropriately. I've told you all along, and I've kind of mentioned this through here, but I believe every bit as important, and sometimes I believe actually more important, because where we spend our time also affects where money goes, is this issue of how we manage our time. I'll be honest with you, far more often this one gets me in trouble than anything else. Maybe it's because my wife manages the books in her family, does a great job with it. But I'm far more prone to be a bad steward of my time than I have my money. I'm fairly generous most of the time. Ask my wife. I'd probably give far more away than would be good for us. I don't say that to pat myself on the back because I just admitted to you that this is where I struggle. Do you realize that in the story of the talents, the parable of the talents, I said, there's a curious thing that we can do with that. What is a talent? What is a talent? My Bible has a footnote that says a talent is a measurement equal to 20 years worth of wages. So if you translate that to one, he gave 100 years of wages. To the next, he gave 40 years of wages. And to the last, he gave 20 years of wages. Now, still in monetary denomination, right? But certainly there's an element of time inherent in that. Should we choose to, we could probably say, to some he gave a long life, and to others he gave a medium-length life, and to others he gave a short life. And the question will be, what will you do with the time you have? Now in that story, they all knew what they got up front, didn't they? I have to be... Uh, reminds you, you actually don't know, if we're applying it that way, you don't know how much you got. You don't know where your time is going to be, when it will be done. Whether you got the 20 or the 40 or the 100 years, as an example. We will manage our time appropriately. We will recognize it's not ours. The breath I have the moments that God has given me belong to him. Do I really believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everything that's on it, including me, and that I came with nothing into the world and I will leave with nothing out of the world? If so, these are the things we will do. We will use our possessions as tools to further God's kingdom. We will recognize that what he's given to us is for a purpose. We will not be, we will reject the, being the third servant that was given things, giving time or money or whatever you want to call it, and say, this isn't enough. This master is hard. He's not fair. He's going to take what's not his, and he buries it. He refuses to use it. 
It does you no good to have the most incredible gift of encouragement if you will stay at home all the time and never be around people who need it. It does you no good to have the incredible ability to know what the Word of God says and teach it if you will refuse to be used as a teacher in some context. It does you no good if you know that you have this ability to get things done and to serve others if you will selfishly serve yourself. That is what it means to bury a talent and say, ha, God, this is mine. Actually, he didn't even say that, right? He acknowledged it was his, but he refused to do anything with it. And in the end, we saw the result, right? It was taken away from him, given to someone else. We have two big markers that I think we can look at in our lives that really just help us assess how we're doing, and I would encourage us to do that very often. It's the two things I've already referred to. It's probably no secret. This is not something that you're going to be uh, surprised by. If you ever are in the mood, I wouldn't wait for that, quite frankly, because that's not ever going to happen. But if you're ever in the mood to assess your life and say, am I doing a good job as a steward? Ask yourself those two questions. How do I spend my money? How do I spend my time? That will give you a fairly crystal clear picture as to whether you can say, I'm being a good steward. Let me retell you again today the story that we began with. I'm not going to take time to read it. We'll just very briefly retell it. But I want to retell it for you, and I want you to put yourself in that story. For Jesus says that there's a day coming when he's going to return. But he says until that time, it will be like when he goes away up into heaven waiting to come back. And when he goes away, he will, give, uh, he will entrust his servants. He will entrust you with his things, with his property, with what he has given you. I hope you believe that, that he, Jesus, has entrusted you with something. To some of you, he gave five talents, as it were. To some of you, he gave two talents. To some of us, he gave one. Let me tell you right now, you are wasting your time if you're contemplating or thinking about how much you got and how much it compares to the people around you. Because that's not the point of Jesus' story at all. It's not the point of what I'm going to bring you today. Because Jesus said that at one time, at one point, then the master comes back and he will reckon with every one of his servants, which is to say that if I can do this for you this morning, if it helps you to close your eyes, you can do that. But if I were to do this with you this morning, that you must see yourself that someday the master will come back and settle accounts with you. He will take the things, he will look for the things that he gave you, the talents he gave you, the portion that he gave to you, he entrusted to you. He will take that and say, what have you done with it, my friend? And I would ask you, I would invite you, ask you, what I would require of you if I can, Take a brutally honest moment right now and say, if that day, if that moment were right now, would Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, with how I've spent my time and my money, the things he's given to me, or would he say, you wicked and slothful servant? God, thank you so much for the time that we've spent together in the Word this morning. I say thank you, but the reality is, boy, this is one that, this is one that hits us pretty hard, hits me pretty hard. Every time I ask you this question, God, I'm filled with the realization 
And it probably will be true no matter where I'm at with this. But I'm filled with the realization that on that day when I stand before your throne, before Jesus who gave everything for me, I will instantly and regrettably think, I could have done so much more. I could have been so much more generous. I could have done it with so much less. I could have given so much more of my time. I could have done so much more. And Lord, I'm not saying that because I think you mean to make us feel bad. You mean to make us feel like we're never going to feel like we have measured up. But I say that because it's a realization for me of how much you have given to me and to us and how little we give back. How much we, we, how much we, we err on this. How much we think some of this stuff is mine. Some of it is under my control. Some, at least a little bit of it is because of me. I'm so sorry, God, because it's simply not true. It's simply not true. Oh, this is hard, God, but teach me to be content and generous. Not just with our stuff, but with our time, with our gifts, like the things we can do, the things you, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to do in ways that, whether we realize or not, we would never be able to do apart from you. Certainly, Lord Jesus, if this morning we have taken a good hard look at ourselves and realized that were we asked the question right now this morning, were we required to give an answer for what you have given us right now this morning, that that answer would not be favorable that today, God, you've given us an opportunity to fall on our knees before you. And brothers and sisters, I say that literally. If you need to do that and want to do that, you should absolutely do that. To fall on our knees before you or to, to, to in some way say, I am completely in the wrong here, God. It's not about how much I have, whether I have a ton or almost nothing. But if there's greed in my heart, if there's longing, if there's wastefulness, if I'm squelching, if I'm burying the talent that you've given me, then God, I'm so sorry and I don't want that to be true for I long to hear the words that Jesus will say someday to those who've been faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enter the joy to which I prepared for you. I'm so grateful, God, for your patience with us, for your long-suffering for the great mercy you pour out on us that we do not deserve. How lavish is the love that you pour out on us that we would be called sons and daughters of God. How unending is your patience with us. but we want to change if we need to. I pray, Father, as we close here, I pray that if there's any kind of, any kind of decision or, or shift in thinking or realization of something's got to give or desire to do things differently, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ against the enemy and I pray for the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to help that turn into actual change in our lives. That it would be pressed in us. That when we leave today, it's not just, oh, that was a moving sermon, but it is pressed in us. It is this burning 
pressure inside of us that this has to change and some concrete steps that your spirit is giving us even now on how that can change. Maybe not huge steps, but certainly if, if it's called for us, huge steps, but, but little steps. We can do without this. I could do this instead. Only by your grace and only for your glory. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand this morning? If in any way, shape, or form, as I close my prayer, that there's been any, any thought in you that says something needs to be a little different in my life, whether it's a tiny thing or a big thing, I just encourage you as I pray here to close out and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, that you make a little agreement with the Holy Spirit that he can bug you and pester you until actual steps be taken. Father, fill us with your Spirit. We desperately need you for change in our life. We want the new man to come, the old man to be tossed aside. Thank you that that's even possible. Fill us that we are truly your new creations in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace today. Thank you for your patience.